Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. The name of the message is Standing in Christ. Standing in Christ. First Peter chapter 4. Now Roman legions, when they marched into battle, they would march in such a formation that it was easy for them to form up what was called a shield wall. And this shield wall had layers. There would be the first rank of men, then there would be several layers behind them. And the one thing that the Romans did that other armies didn't do was they would lock their shields together. And there would be a little gap that they could open up where they could stick their gladius out and pull it back quickly and the gap would close. And it was very hard for the enemy to strike at them. They would hit this, this shield wall. They would press upon the shield wall. Sometimes it would look like it was going to bend, but it would never break. And if it broke, then it was usually trouble for the legion. But they were disciplined soldiers. They were, Brother Tom, you said at one time, they were, and it's true, they were like the first professional army. These men signed to be in, in the, as, a, as a legionnaire for up to 20 years at a time. There's reports of legionnaires growing or living until it would be their 60s. Imagine how many battles they fought in. And then they would retire. Three different times they signed up. That's a long time to sign up for, isn't it, brother? 20 years. That's a long time. But they would brace. When the enemy come at them, they would brace. They would lock their shields together. And that army would come straight at them. And the force of them coming again would would have them bend a little bit. But what happened to their enemies was they would, they would follow up and literally crush each other. The, the poor guys at the front didn't have a chance because they were easy pickings for the Roman legionnaires. But they stood. They stood their ground. Beloved, we are to stand fast in Christ. And the scripture uses, which we'll look at, in a metaphor, a Roman soldier, with the armor of God. And we'll look at that today. So let's keep that in our minds. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So arm yourself like a soldier. Stand fast. That he should no longer that, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So we're not to live our lives for the lust of the flesh. Now that's our, that, that means we are going to war against our flesh, aren't we? You remember we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And which one's the worst? I know which one's the worst for me. It's my flesh. Yeah, Brian, brother, right here. It's my flesh. My, oh, my. <clears throat> It says, for the time of past, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revilings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, seek, speaking evil of you. I'll tell you what, when the Lord saves one of his saints, They're friends from the past. I've had this happen. I had it happen to me. They're friends from the past. They, what happened to Boyd? 
what in the world happened to him? He's gone to be one of them Jesus freaks now. Well, yeah. You want to call me that, that's fine. I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me. He's my king. He's my Lord. But it's true, they speak evil of you. And then they start to mock you. My, oh, my. <clears throat> Sometimes it's even family members. That's what happened to me. <clears throat> it was family members, my dad. He said, Wayne, I'd rather have you back at the bar than in church. My dad said that to me. He said a couple other things I won't, I won't say either, but he would have rather had me drinking in a bar like I used to, right? living a riotous life, than going to church. You know why? Because he hated the gospel. He did. And you know what? I'm a product of him, right? So when I was born, I hated the gospel too. I was saying to Vicky this week, I, I might not have outwardly said I hated God, but by my sins, I was saying that. But God saved me by his grace. That's what he did for all of us, eh? Saved us out of that, beloved. Called us out of all that deadness and sin. Now we're still sinners, but now we're saved sinners. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had one of my cousins tell me, he goes, I had to cut you off from Facebook. I said, why? And he goes, because you love Jesus too much. Well, man, that was a badge of honor for me. Well, keep telling me that. that. Put that on my tombstone. He loved Jesus too much. I'll tell you, I don't love him enough. My, oh my. So when I read this, I'm, I'm staring myself in the face in my old ways. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them. You don't, you, don't, you don't do the things you used to do with them anymore. To the same excess of riot. Just, just wasting my life. That's what I was doing. And they speak evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Look at that. Can any of us give account for our souls? No. That's, that's what, aren't you happy? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Oh, my. <laughs> Covered under the precious blood of Christ. It says, for this cause, verse 6, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. They might be judged according to the man in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity, which is love, among yourselves. For charity shall cover what? A multitude of sins. If you see your brother, if you see your brother sinning, pick him up. You know, in religion, man, they go over and they just hoof you. I experienced that too. They do. Religion, it's like that article I, I, I have in here this week. And Spurgeon says, he says, uh, the lost modem. And then he said his heart was melt, melt, melted within him. But there's a point in this article where he says, he says, well, maybe if I just pick myself up and, and, and do this, God will accept me. And he said the law just smote him even harder. Just beat him even harder, beloved. And then one came beside him. Oh, we, that article is wonderful. It's called Pardon. It's just a wonderful article. Oh, my. Read it when you get home. It's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And we're pardoned, beloved, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul, when he's writing these, these words, let's read verses, I, I skipped verses 9 and 10. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Don't begrudge one another. Use hospitality. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another in good, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who gets all the glory? God gets it all. Yep. I can't glory in anything I've done because I didn't do nothing. God saved me, like we saw in Sunday school. God saved Paul, didn't he? God saved me. And if you're a believer, God saved you. My. Look at verse 18, one chapter over. Look at chapter, look at chapter uh, 3, verse 18. Verse 18 declares that the Lord Jesus Christ, the just one, he died in the place of unjust sinners, which is us. God's elect. Why? To bring us to God. Look at this. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He's sinless, right? But it says he's suffering for sins. Our sins were imputed to him. He's suffering for our he's suffering for my sins. He's suffering for your sins, brother. That's what he did at Calvary's cross. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, we couldn't pay it, could we? And he paid it all, man. Oh my. He suffered. The just one, the perfect one, for the unjust. That's us. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that before the Lord saves us, if somebody called us a sinner, it was like, right? Call me a sinner? And, and here we preachers, we get up, and we don't look, well, you never, I hope you never hear me say, well, you're a sinner. We are sinners. We. I'm a saved sinner too. We. Religion, it was always, you thought the, the preacher, he was perfect. And, and I don't know how it happened, but they, he was incredible. But you find out, no, they're just sinners like you and I, right? He died for our sins, beloved. Our sins. He's the sinless one. He's, he's the just one. Dying for the unjust. It says right here, look at this. This is marvelous. Christ also has once, once, not multiple times, once, suffered once for sins. The just, the perfect one. That means the holy one, the just one. The perfect one for the unjust, guilty sinners. That's me. I know you all put your hands up too, right? That's all of us, isn't it? That's all of us. Look at that. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? That he might bring us to God. Look at that. We, could, we couldn't come to God on our own. We couldn't. It was impossible. God can't have any sin in his presence, can he? We have to be made perfect. We have to be made holy. Now, we're, we marvel at this. We're sinners still on, on this earth, and yet we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and God doesn't see any sin in us. Isn't, because it's alien righteousness, right? It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. That's why the scripture says he's the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sekindim. The Lord our righteousness, beloved. Oh, it's wonderful. But look at that. Why did he die? Why did, he, why did the sinless one die on Calvary's cross? That he might bring us to God. That he might bring his people. And he shall save his people, what? From their sins. To bring us to God. And that was all planned and purposed as we saw this morning by God. And then, being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit, he's raised for our justification. Right? And remember, now, now when Peter's writing this epistle, the, the basis of who he's writing to, these saints are suffering for their faith. They have been persecuted. They're being persecuted for their faith. If you read this whole book, you'll find out that, that they are going through various trials. They are being persecuted for what they believe. And they're the elect scattered all abroad. We see that in, we see that in uh, chapter 1. Look at this. It says, uh, verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of James, or Peter... Boy, oh boy. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Look at this. Elect. Chosen. Elect. That's who this is written to. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. That's just being made holy. That's to be born again. Of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work. 
on the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all our sin, right? Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. My, oh my. So he's writing to suffering saints. These saints are suffering in, in Cappadocia and Galatia. They're suffering for their faith. And this, faith, this suffering is a reality. And Peter's not downplaying their suffering. But we're going to see a contrast to suffering. He's going to set before them the suffering of Christ. And what will that do? That'll make our suffering look like nothing, won't it? But don't forget, our suffering's real, though. It's real. We really do feel it. It really does happen to us. But in light of what Christ suffered, Scripture says this is but light affliction for us. My, oh, my. My, oh, my. And Peter, bring, or Peter brings forth the fact that they are suffering, but he brings before them again by inspiration. And remember, this is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He brings forth before them he who suffered in their place. And he's done that, hasn't he? In verse 18 of chapter 3. You know, think upon this. The Lord Jesus Christ had a mission, didn't he? Remember, he's a captain of the Lord's house. He had a mission. He was on a mission. What's his mission? To save his people from their sins. But in order to do that, he has to live the perfect life, doesn't he? Well, he's sinless. So he fulfills the law in every jot and tittle in his life. And then the scripture says, the soul that sinneth it must die. He's sinless. So our sins are imputed to him, and he willingly gives up the ghost. Scripture says that, doesn't it? You know, he could have, Spurgeon said, he could have hung on that cross for as long as he wanted to. He could have commanded a legion of angels. He said that. 6,000 angels. He's heard me say before, one angel killed 100,000 men. 6,000 wiped the whole world out, beloved. One legion of angels. How many does he have at his command? Basically, he's saying, I could wipe out the whole world. But what does he do? Nevertheless, not my will, Father, but thy will be done. It was God the Father's will that he goes to the cross, right? To redeem us from our sins. And we see here who he is, the just one. The just one was on a mission to bring us to God, to save us from our sins. And his one was, his mission was one of vicarious suffering, which means he's a substitute. He doesn't deserve to suffer, does he? he? He's not sinned at all. He's not offended anyone. Now, self-righteous men may have been offended on this earth, but God, God looked at Christ and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And think of that. The one who said that sent him to die. How great is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit's love for us how great is their love for us? Again, you can't measure his grace, can you? You can't measure his love either for his people. My, oh my. And think of this, his mission, his mission was one unconquered by suffering. He suffered more than anyone. And yet he wasn't conquered by that suffering, was he? He completed his mission, didn't he? And where'd he go? Back home. He came down from heaven. He stooped low to save us from our sins. And he was put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened in the spirit. And where's our king now, beloved? He's risen. Oh, he's, he's in glory. He's on the right hand of the Father right now, isn't he? And you know what he has? All power. You mean he has absolute power? Yep. You mean he can do whatever he pleases? Yep. I hear you say that, that none can stay his hand. None can stop him. That's right. That's my king. Is he yours? Rejoice, beloved. 
rejoice. Look at this. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Look at this. Who's gone into heaven. That's where he is right now, right? That's where he is. Our dear brother and sister who departed from this world are right now beholding Christ. And they have been from the moment they breathed their last breath. They're in the presence of the Lord. Oh, my. Isn't that wonderful? Look at this. Who's gone into heaven is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Look at that. Angels, authorities, and powers, what? Subject unto him. Now notice in the latter part of verse 22, again we see here the absolute dominion and authority of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now note the words there, being made subject unto. There's another one where four words are one word in the Greek. Four words in English are one word in the Greek. You know what that one word means? To arrange under. To arrange under. To be subordinate. Be subordinate. To subject, to put in subjection. He's put them in subjection. They are all in subjection to him. It also means this. To subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control. Remember, remember those demons when they saw Christ? One of my favorite narratives, the, 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 the gathering demoniac. And those demons said, we know who you are, thou holy one of God. The devils believe and tremble, don't they? You know why? Because they're subject to him. They knew he is king. And he said, art thou come to destroy or cast us into the deep, which is the abyss? Before the time, they know their end is soon. They know their days are numbered. It, this, this term is also, I found this interesting, uses a Greek military term meaning to arrange troop divisions. Get them in order. <laughs> you better be in order. <laughs> and they're not one of them out of place, beloved. That's not under his power. We see now why he's the captain of the Lord's host, don't we? But he's not just the captain of the Lord's host. He's, he's over all angels, authorities, and powers, all being made subject unto him. In full submission to him. They can't do nothing unless he allows them to. Angels, authorities, powers, think of all the stuff we see going on in the world, the governments, they're all under God's subjection. That'll give us peace, won't it? To know that things are playing out according to God's will and sovereignty. We don't understand it. Oftentimes we don't understand it. But I'll tell you, I, I do know something that we're going to look back in a few years and know why it all happened. Or we'll see, we'll see a point in it. Maybe, maybe the Lord's bringing Ukrainians over to the EU that they might hear the gospel. Maybe there be a stirring in Russia. You never know. People might rise up against Putin. You don't know. We don't know. We, no one knows. And, and maybe it'll open that, that, that culture for the gospel even more. We don't know. See, we don't know. But we know that everyone's subjected to the Lord. We know that. We know that everything is under his domain. That gives me peace as a believer. I don't understand what he's doing in, in, 
frankly, it's not for me to understand. It's not for me to question what God does. I'm just amazed that he saved me by his grace. I'm amazed that I was included in that number. And I get to be with, with the Lord's people. Like I said to Marcus, I wrote Marcus, and I said, woohoo, it's Sunday. I, I love Sunday. I love getting together with you all. This is the highlight of our week for Vicki and I, to be with the Lord's people. It's wonderful. So Peter, think of this too. These saints, they're suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. And what does Peter do? He brings before them God's in control. And remember that verse we saw in Sunday school? I'll not forget you. I'm gonna, that, that burned in my soul this morning. I'll tell you what, that, that's beautiful. He's never going to forget us. So they're suffering through stuff, and he's got his eye on them. His eye has never left them. Here's a still illustration. There was a man who walked into a goldsmith in the 1800s. He walks into a smithing place. And the goldsmith there has got a pot there, and with gold you put it in, and you have to heat it up to a certain point, and, and you have to take the dross off it. And he said, he's watching them do his thing there, and the young man who had walked in said to the goldsmith, he says, when do you know when it's done? He says, when I can see my reflection. Conform to the image of the sun. There's a, there's a reason why we go through certain things, isn't there? We're being conformed to the image of the sun, beloved. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So, Remember, when we're going through fires of suffering or trials, he's in full control. And there's a reason why we're going through those, even though we don't understand it. But his will will be accomplished in our lives, won't it? And so Paul, or Peter, I keep saying Paul because we're doing Galatians and I'm just going... Peter is bringing forth them to the suffering saints that he's writing to the fact of our great substitute's ever-present help and the fact that he died for us. He died for our sins. And, and again, our sufferings and our, the things we go through, they seem really big in our eyes, and they do. I'm not going to negate that. There's some huge mountains that come in our lives. We've all faced them, haven't we? And, and the Lord trims them right down, doesn't he? Or he carries us right over the mountain. You know, you ever seen that thing, footprints in the sand? You've heard me mention this before. I'm going to say it again. Footprints in the sand, right? You read that thing and you think, of, you think, oh, that's okay. But no, first it says there's two sets of footprints. You know, there never been two sets of footprints in my life. My footprints in the sand be one set of footprints, and me being carried. By the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. He carries us through this life, doesn't he? He takes care of us, doesn't he? He's the one who gets all the glory. Now, Peter will come back to chapter 4 here, and let's look at verse 1 here. A lot of uh, commentators believe that there shouldn't have been a break here, that the break should have been to verse 11, where, where we went. The ch sometimes the chapter breaks... Um, are not always good. And that's, that's put in there by man. That's put in there by... Originally, these were letters. And so the flow of what, what he's writing about in verse 18, 22, all chap, the latter part of chapter 3, flows right into 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And remember, the Lord and him alone can put a stop to man's raging and persecution. And this is what the apostle is going to bring forth here. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So Peter here again brings forth the fact of Christ's suffering. 
of his suffering. The eternal Son of God, the Lord of glory, the Holy One and Just One of God suffered for our sins, beloved. And he's bringing that forth. Christ suffered for us in the flesh. He was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He suffered for us. He died as our substitute. He came to pay all that God demanded to ransom our souls. And, and what was the cost? The shedding of his precious, precious blood. My. And note the word suffered for us in the flesh and, and tie this in with verse 18 of chapter 3 which proclaims Christ suffered for sins. Well, he suffered for us. He's sinless. He's suffering for my sins and for the sins of all the elect of God. And that's what, that's what Peter brings forth here in verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us. And remember, he's writing to the elect of God. He's not writing to the whole world. He's writing to God's elect that are spread abroad in Cappadocia, in Galatia, and in the various places. And he sets before them the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sets before them the fact that he was really a man in the flesh. He was a real man. You can look at a Jewish historian called Jophesus. Jophesus. I always mess his name up. But um, you can look up him, and he actually mentions Christ in his historical book. So he was a real figure. He was in the flesh. My, oh, my. Here he is, the innocent one, dying on behalf of the guilty. And Peter brings forth the suffering of Christ again before the saints that he's writing to. He's exhorting themselves to arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. We're only here for a short time, beloved. Our life is like a vapor. And Peter exhorts the saints to arm themselves with the same mind that Christ had regarding unjust punishment. And our Lord suffered unjust punishment, didn't he? More so than any man. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And in verse 17 of 1 Peter 3, it says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And the well-doing there is believing in Christ, believing, believing the Messiah, professing him in his gospel, giving a, a free and open reason for doing so. Why? Because he saved me by, by his grace. Saved me from all my sins. Mine. And the world hates it. And that's what, why believers are persecuted, because the world hates the gospel. They hate Christ. They might not say it, but they do. And the word arm yourselves was a, a, a word translated and it was used of a Greek soldier putting on his armor. Putting on his armor. Back there in 1 Peter chapter 4. In the Holy Spirit of God has Peter used the Greek word which brings forth that the Christian needs the heaviest armor. We're like heavy infantry. The Roman legions were considered to be heavy infantry. Heavy infantry. We're, we're, you know, we're in, the, we're in the best armor. You know that? We got the best armor on. Ask it. Do, do we put it on? Or does God put it on us? I remember one time listening to a sermon by a young man with Norm Wells. This young man said, well, you need to put that armor of God on and he said, you need to stop that message for a second? I said, sure. And Norm said, God puts that armor on us, Wayne. We don't put it on. <laughs> it's, all, it's put on by God. And you know what? We're all soldiers. We're soldiers in Christ. We're soldiers. In Christ Jesus our Lord and we're fully armed as Christians. Do you know that? God totally equips us. We're fully armed as, as Christian soldiers. 
How are we totally armed? Only in Christ. We're going to look at here. We're going to see this whole armor points to one person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what does the devil seek to do? Destroy God's elect. He seeks to destroy him. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, my. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. I picture us just dressed up like a, like a Roman legionnaire, fully armored. And Paul's actually going to give us a, a view of a soldier that way. Why should we have the armor of God on and praise God he equips us in it? That ye may be able to withstand the evil in the evil day and having done all to what? Stand. Doesn't say go forward or go backwards, it says just to stand, doesn't it? You know why? Because Christ goes before us. <laughs> the battle's his blood. We're just stand we just stand like soldiers, Roman legionaries where our shields locked, beloved. Oh my. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. I ask you, who's the way, the truth, and the life? Christ, amen. And heaven on the breastplate of righteousness, I ask you, who's our righteousness? Christ. So, two things here so far pointed right to Christ. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Who's the gospel of peace all about? Christ. Stand therefore, heaven, or, oh, I, I missed a verse there. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Oh, what, what the shield is so important to a soldier back in those days because they could, they could hide behind that shield. That's why that, that, the Romans had such success because the enemies couldn't penetrate their shield wall. And then they'd go into the tortoise when they were firing arrows at them. They'd go into a tortoise and they would just put the shields on top, shields on the side. There are no arrows going through there. Now the odd one might go through and strike someone, but not very many. They just bounce off them shields. Now look at this. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Who's the object of our faith? Who's the one object? Christ. He's the one object of our faith. We don't have anyone else we worship, do we? Christ. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. Who's our salvation in? Christ. Having the mind of Christ, right? My and the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Who does this Word proclaim? Christ. <laughs> Do you see? His armor of God, it's all Christ. It's all Him. Having the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Who do we pray to? Christ. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We pray for each other, don't we? And for me, I love this. Pray for, pray for the God's preachers that utterance may be given unto me. Pray for us when we're stepping in the pulpit. Pray for us when we're studying. Oh my. Why? That Why? that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, the gospel's hid until God reveals it to us. It was hid from us at one time. Brian, you driving home? 
the veil came off, man. My, oh, my. I believe. Incredible. To make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. You know, every believer is an ambassador. Every believer is an ambassador for Christ. We tell about a far country, don't we? We tell about the one who rules a far country. We tell about the one who rules over all. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And note the latter part of verse 1. It says, For he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, two implications are given here. That Christ, the sinless sacrifice, who bore our sins in his body, suffered for them in our room and place, died for them, is now risen up into glory, and our sins are gone. They're gone. How can they be gone? Because God don't remember them no more. Because Christ fully satisfied God's law and justice in our place. He did that which we could never do. Why? To bring us to God. To bring us to God. And the sins imputed to him for which he made satisfaction are gone. They're bought and paid for. They're gone. They're paid in full. We are justified, beloved. We are set free by the grace and mercy of God. So set free that no charge of sin can be brought against us. But Wayne, I'm a sinner to the top of my head, to the bottom of my feet. So am I. But I'm saved by the mercy and grace of God. And I pray God do it so for you if you don't know him. Oh, that you save your soul. And the person who's crucified with Christ buried with Christ and risen with Christ has ceased to be the servant of sin. Sin, sin doesn't have the dominion over us that we're, now that we're born again. We still sin. We still struggle with sin. Don't get me wrong, because we do. Somebody says they don't, they're lying to you. But it doesn't have the dominion. It doesn't have the hold it once had on us. We've not ceased from the burden of it, nor continue a war with it, but we've, we've ceased from being servants of sin. We don't serve our, our sin anymore. And, and we know that all our sins are bought and paid for by the precious, precious blood of Christ. And Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Brings us forth. Look at verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 4. He says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of man, but to the will of God. Now we seek to serve God, don't we? We seek to do his will. You know, I, I never even thought of God's will before the Lord saved me. If you had to talk to me about God's will, I would have went, what are you talking about, God's will? I wouldn't even understood what you're talking about. I would have had no clue. But I know now that God saved me by his will and purpose and I just rejoice to you. Oh, it's wonderful. Peter's bringing forth here that we who are the sons of God, we who are saved by, by his grace, we're still in the world and we're going to have time to spend here, but the believer no longer lives the rest of his earthly light in the sphere of the cravings of man. Now, we still struggle with sin just like everyone else, but again, we're not, we're not servants of it anymore. What happens when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin? We cry out to God, don't we? Even though we know it's forgiven, we still cry out to God. What happens when we do something that we've, that we've done before? We, we sin and we sinned like that before. What happens? Lord, please help me with this. Help me overcome this. I can only overcome it by thy grace and thy mercy. Look at verses 3 and 4 here. 
And the apostle brings forth here what it means to be dead in sin. And a Christian ought no longer to live the rest of his life or time in the flesh. We just ought not to. To, to fulfill the sinful lusts and corrupt desires of carnal, wicked men. But, but we ought to conform ourselves, right, to the revealed will of God. Well, Lord, if this is your will, I, you know. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. So in our old nature, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? We walked according we walked according to the course of this world. According to the scripture says in Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the, of, of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we had our conversations among among those who are dead in trespasses and sins, right? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And we by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You couldn't tell one of God's elect from a goat in our natural state. But God, who's rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. So look at this. For the time past of your life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revilings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So Peter again is bringing forth here what we were before the Lord saved us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And think upon this. The things, again, that we once hated, now we love. How do you do that? How, how can anyone explain that? <laughs> how can God take a, one who hates the gospel and turn him into a lover of the gospel? By his power, can he? By his mercy, by his grace. Because we can't do it on our own. You know? We can't do it on our own. Not at all. My, oh, my. Things that are now shame to us were once our delight. Once we, we delighted in these things. And we have no cause. We, we have absolutely no cause to judge those people in the world, do we? I, I can't judge anyone in the world. I was, I was there. And I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. Note this too. Verse 4. Wherein they think that it's strange that you run not with them. They think it's strange. You don't, you don't go off with them anymore. To the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. Note the words there that you run not with. Weiss brings out, Greek scholar brings out, that in the Greek that means to run in company. Well, that fits right in with Ephesians chapter 2, which says, among whom also we had our conversations in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. My, oh my. We were right there, but God, who's rich in mercy. Isn't that wonderful? It's music to our ears, isn't it? God, who's rich in mercy, he saved us. He saved us. For his great love, wherewith he loved us. Oh, an eternal, everlasting love. My, oh, my. And so, those who we used to run in company with, they wonder what happened to us. Why don't they run with us anymore? In the Greek, it means to run in a troop with others like a band of revilers. What happens when a bunch of guys get together and they start and stir trouble up? I know what happens. We just feed off each other, don't we? 
you know, a little frenzy there. My, oh, my. Now we don't want to run with the pack anymore, do we? And the word excess in the text, when it says excess of riot, is a translation of the Greek word which means literally a pouring forth or an overflowing. We were overflowing in our sin. That's where we were. It, uh, in the classical Greek, it brings forth like when, uh, when waves come in and fill the, the, with the tides and fill the hollows. Just overflows all that. So the world thinks it's strange that believers do not enjoy and take part in their evil, in their sinfulness. Well, why do we not do that anymore? Because the love of Christ now constrains us from sin. Why do you get convicted? Why do I get convicted when I sin? Why do you get convicted when you sin? Because the Holy Spirit's in us. In us. And he points us to Christ. And we remember that all our sins, all our sins were against God. But praise be to God. He's had mercy on his people in Christ. And we can leave this place today, beloved of God, rejoicing in that wonderful truth that I'm forgiven. That I'm complete in Christ. And that's a, that's a station right now, not when we get to glory. Paul wrote to the, the, the Colossian believers, he said, you're complete in Christ. Oh, let's just live in that moment. Let's live in that church, beloved. I was talking to Sister Diane about the promises of God, and Spurgeon used to say, he said, if you find the promises of God, which we find all through the scriptures, you know what he said? Pray them back to God. <laughs> God, you promised this. And it's not a name it and claim it thing at all. He didn't mean that. We don't, we don't even come to entertain that stuff. But he's saying these are promises from God to we who are God's people. And remember, how do we know that? Because the scripture declares that all the promises of God are what? Yea and amen in Christ. And that's for us. <laughs>